Julia, welcome to the show. I am super stoked to have you here today. Thank you so much. I can't wait to chat. All right. Are you ready for the three most important questions ever? Yes. Lay it on me. Okay. One, what is your bucket list travel destination? My bucket list travel destination is probably Colombia in South America. I think that, of course, historically, you know, there was a lot of violence there, but they've cleaned up a lot. And I know people who travel there and, you know, they don't have to have a stigma anymore of being dangerous. Like so many other countries are just as dangerous, but, you know, like in Europe and everything and in Canada too. I don't know, maybe not in Canada, but (laughs) whatever. The point is uh, Colombia. Cool. I dig it. I feel like one, the food scene there would be amazing. And also like the proximity to like the freshest coffee beans ever. I, yeah, I'm on board with that trip. So I need to live vicariously through you when that happens. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And the history and, you know, and the right beside Panama, like there's so many other like great places down there that you could also hop into. So I would probably start there and then it would escalate. I would just do everything. I love it. All right. Next up, what is your favorite meal of all time? My favorite meal of all time is cabbage rolls. I'm a Polish gal through and through. (laughs) So anytime somebody whips out a cabbage roll, I just can't help myself. Like my mouth is already watering just thinking about it. (laughs) I love it. It's just like a classic, simple, like comforting dish. Nothing fancy, but it's so good. What's in it? Ground ground meat or? Yeah. Usually it's some kind of like blend of like veal or pork with rice and then it's really in the sauce. Like that's really what elevates it. And they also have Italian style cabbage rolls, which are a little bit like very similar concept, but the tomato sauce is like really different and really yummy too. So those are awesome. Oh, that sounds so good. I feel like that's something I could probably get in like Eastern Germany. Not so much about like where I am, but yeah, I dig it. Okay. That's on my list now. I, I don't think I've ever had a proper cabbage roll. Yeah, they're so good. I mean, and they're super labor intensive to make, but it's like a process, right? And it's just like such a tribute to like the culture of like getting your babsha or your grandparent around and they start rolling it and then you get roped in, right, as a grandkid. And then you're just like in a sea of cabbage rolls or pierogi or like whatever. Like it's like every culture has that one food where it's like all hands on deck, make yourself available. We're making this thing this weekend in like the dozens. Oh, it's worth it though. It's so yeah. worth it. Mm. I love that. And I love that the family is involved too. Game changer. It's fine. Probably the most important question ever. Coffee or cocktails? Yeah, that is a really hard one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Gosh. I'm going to have to go. It depends on the day. Today I'm going to have to say coffee. Okay. How do you like your coffee? Uh, I prefer it pretty dark, like as black as possible. I don't put sugar in my coffee. I don't like sweet things in general, not that I'm anti-sugar. Uh, sometimes a little bit of cream, uh, but that's really it. I like to just taste the bean as much as possible. My boyfriend is kind of a coffee snob, so I never cared. And then it's one of those things where once you start learning and someone teaches you the different flavors or how it's produced, then you start to get invested and then you get trained on it and then you start to love it. So I'm, yeah. I'm kind of a convert. I feel that. So before, I'm guessing, you were like a go into a 7-Eleven, get the coffee that's been sitting there for like five hours, enjoy the cup, and now maybe it's like, hmm, I, yeah. need, I need to brew it myself kind of thing. 
oh yeah, I have a French press. Like it's like we ordered like this really fun. I got it for my boyfriend for a anniversary gift. It was a coffee subscription. So every month they would send us like a mystery coffee bean. Like we wouldn't know what it was. They would tell us when it arrived. Yeah. And then you got to sample size. Like it had like four cups of coffee in it worth of beans. And then every month it was something new. So it was pretty fun. That's awesome. I I kind of missed that about the States. Like being in Europe, their, their coffee culture just isn't the same. So I, I think I miss like just having the variety of those different beans. We've been drinking the same coffee, literally the same bean for the last year and a half. And it's delicious. Do not get me wrong, but I miss variety. So, you know what? I I, I hear you. I have to say though, I, I am really boring when it comes to my drink choices. Like in Canada, we have Tim Hortons, the iconic Tim Hortons, yes. and they were our coffee go-to. And then what happened, and I don't know if this is true, this is literally what we tell ourselves, people who buy coffee, is that like five years ago, Tim Hortons sold their coffee because they adopted this dark roast, which tastes terrible, and they sold their original coffee to McDonald's. And then all of a sudden, McDonald's had this phenomenal coffee. So actually, my go-to is probably McDonald's. And then like a Starbucks might be way down the list and then Tim Hortons would be last. But yeah, so not too much variety for this gal. Just I live in through my boyfriend. But anyway, sorry. You've learned a lot though within the coffee world. I I love that. I feel like through this conversation though, see, these are really the three most important questions. We've learned so much about you. (laughs) I know. I I, even talking about it out loud, I'm kind of surprising myself how much I know. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, but there is lots of room in my heart for cocktails. I actually do write a lot of cocktail articles because I think they're so fun and they have a lot of history behind them. And some of them are just like so sexy and it's just like an image, right? Like you are a young person, you go to the bar, you're like, you're dressed up, feeling good. You order a cocktail and it's just like so swanky. So I love that image. And I meanwhile, I'm at home, like in my sweatpants, just like... (laughs) not living that life, but I can daydream about it. I love it. Okay. So we're going to hop into that in just a second. Like, yeah, Yeah, sure. So what happened? So I graduated school and then we have kind of this uh, internship process after you graduate and it's very competitive. It's very nail bitey. I did not get accepted my first year. And that was really scary because then you're left with literally an entire year because if you don't, because everything accepts you at the same time, masters or internships. So if you're smart, you apply to several things, which I did not because I only <laughs> wanted internship. So that's okay. Uh, anyway, I worked and then I traveled a little bit. I went to Costa Rica and then I applied and I got in and it was really fun. It was more of like, uh, I got to travel quite a bit. So I went to Ottawa for a month, which was really cool. It's a beautiful city. That's where our capital is. Uh, and it was gorgeous in the springtime and Lots of great experiences. And then I ended up working in a place where I swore I would never work, which is a primary care dietitian. So it's pretty much counseling 40 hours a week. And yeah, it's not to knock that profession. It's very badly needed and very rewarding. Just with my personality, I knew I'm like, Julia, don't go into a counseling job. Like it's, it drains you. Like you just can't do it. It doesn't, it's not your thing. And you know what? I just got really scared that I wouldn't get another opportunity or that it wouldn't be as good. So I took it and it was right beside my home city. Like logically, it made a lot of sense. I was also a new grad. So beggars can't be choosers. And, you know, the work was going to be helpful and good. So like there were lots of incentives. So I did it. And then after three and a half years, I was just like, okay, I tried this. Nobody can say I didn't try it. It's not working for me. I don't see myself doing this forever. I need to change gears. And then I opened up my own business and I do a lot of freelance work now. Question about 
I guess backtracking a little bit. So mm-hmm. like in your undergrad, is it something that's kind of just like conditioned in, in like young people that you have to do this clinical stint at some point? Is that something that's like, I don't know, the first step mm-hmm. of being an RD in Canada? Yeah, great question. I think sometimes it can be. I think my university was really cool because we had a lot of actual variety available to us. So there were quite a few clinical courses, but we also had a lot of public health, which I love. Public health actually is where I thought I would end up. Yeah. And then we also had really unique food service opportunities in the restaurant industry. So for a full year, uh, some RDs and myself, like we just really went into it and we designed a whole menu and we operated a restaurant, like a fine dining restaurant. And we what? created like, I think it was like a 10 course dinner. And yeah. So, you know, my university, they had a lot of different paths that you could explore. Obviously yeah. clinical was heavily encouraged because there's a lot to study. Um, but yeah, I, I always felt like we had options. I didn't necessarily feel funneled into clinical. Um, Yeah. That's really cool. I feel like it's a rare opportunity to see outside the clinical space when you're in that undergrad setting. And like I had the opportunity, like my undergrad was culinary nutrition. So like similar to you, like I was already in the restaurant world, like experiencing that. So I knew that there could be different sides to being an RD, but it's very cool that you had that opportunity and you were able to experience all the different hats. Well, at least a couple of different hats that RDs could take on, like, especially just starting out. Okay. So you put your time in, in the clinical world and you were like, nah, fuck this shit. And then you started your own business. What did that look like? And I guess what was the aha moment that you had shifting from clinical to doing your own thing? Yeah. You know, I I literally just posted about this on a Facebook group because I felt called to answer a question an RD had asked, you know, when did you realize that you needed to make a change? And for me personally, I realized that I was just making all of my professional decisions out of fear, Mm. you know, fear of failure, fear of not making people happy, fear of everything under the sun. And eventually it just wore me down. Like I was so unhappy inside, so unfulfilled And I just was like, you know, making decisions out of fear is not sustainable. And it was just like, honestly, I do think it was like killing me slowly. Like I was so unwell, like so unhealthy. Yeah. And I just was like, okay, I need to pivot and make a change. And, you know, I feel really blessed to say that COVID really was the blessing in disguise. I mean, I know it's awful and I'm not saying that it's a good thing it happened, but it did forcibly give me space for my full-time job to come home. And I was working remotely and I just Mm -hmm. had an opportunity to see like, okay, wow, like that place was not good for me. Yeah. It was like just the politics weren't great. I wasn't happy. So having that clarity, like I don't think a lot of people ever get that. When do you have two years out of a toxic workplace, but still working and have a chance to think about, okay, what else can I do? Like that was a real gift. Yeah. And I just knew it's now or never. Like I got to take advantage. I got to do something. And I didn't know what it would look like. And then I just discovered freelancing through looking online, talking to other RDs, and it just sounded like it really aligned with my personality and my work style, which is really project-based. I like variety. And I just took it from there. And you know what? Not to say it was an extremely stressful year for me because I was unbuilding a lot of those fears and constructs I had in my brain while trying to discover something new. And I just I really attribute that to just my sheer stubbornness. Like I was just like, I need to keep going forward. Like this is really hard. I just need to keep doing this work. 
what did that introspection time look like for you? Oh yeah, yeah, it was messy, guys. Like it was not glamorous. It was me roller coaster. <laughs> so ecstatic, like manic, like so ecstatic about the opportunities and then a crash. Like I'll never be able to do it. You know, I don't have skills. I can only do this thing. Just that negative traps that we get into and then yeah. the next week it's like, no, who am I kidding? Like I got this. You know, it was really crazy for me. Very draining, but I just knew like you got to go through that hard stuff sometimes to get to the other side. Like there's no shortcuts, unfortunately. And my family was extremely supportive. And without them, I don't think I would have gotten to my realization as quickly as I did, yeah. which was, okay, quit the job, start your own thing. Yeah. Girl, I think, I think it's scary to talk about that sometimes, right? Like the inner work that we have to do to like leave the things that are no longer serving us and to totally. have the courage to step into something that can be scary, can be different, but at the end is probably going to be one of the best decisions that we can make. So yeah. I I'm really appreciate you being super vulnerable with that because like maybe, maybe a lot of us go through it. Maybe all of us go through it, but the people who have the courage to share it are the ones just, I guess, telling the people out there that it's okay. Right. So thank you. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's it is hard and it's messy and it's uncomfortable. Like yeah. nobody wants to deal with the yucky stuff. It's, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's where growth happens, and that's where you kind of see your full potential, and that's where you remind yourself how badass you are. So keep holding on. Take your time. Like there's no rush. Yeah, people. I think that's what leads people to like a midlife crisis, right? Like oh, eventually, yeah. it it either stops you in your tracks and you're forced to look at it, or maybe you're blessed and given an opportunity where you can look at it yourself. But like it does catch up with us, I think at some point in our life. So, yeah. So this big transition in your life post like shutdown, breakdown, re rebirth <laughs> Phoenix life status. Yes. Like it brought about your new business. And like, I would love to know what freelancing looks like to you and like how, how you started to dive into that. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, primarily, I do offer mostly freelance writing skills. That's the backbone of my trade. I just love writing. It, and then I like it also because I get to stay on top of my clinical knowledge. So I do quite a bit of research and, you know, that gets input into the pieces that I write. So yeah. it feels like best of both worlds. Like I'm still keeping all the knowledge I've amassed over the past four years, but I get to share it in a different form of communication. And I think freelancing is a great way for RDs to kind of dip their toes into different services they're thinking about offering because you don't have to go all in and create a small business. You can just say, hey, somebody is really seeking an RD to do a live cooking class. And if that's some skills that you have, then you can just go do that live cooking class, you know, get paid, obviously sign some kind of contract and then like walk away and you never have to do it again if you don't want to. Yeah. Or if you like it, you can keep pursuing and seeking out other opportunities and just see what fits. So it, it feels like a really gentle way to see if you're going to enjoy being your own entrepreneur and putting yourself out there and trying different skills that maybe in your regular job are not available to you. I would love to know what does that process look like for you? So the outreach aspect of it, because I know for me, like even in business, sometimes like I don't have the energy to always seek out opportunities and mm -hmm. to always be on in that way. So is there a way that you find balance between 
like doing what you love in the freelance world, getting these writing opportunities, and also like knowing when to kind of, I guess, maybe take a step back and all that outreach may be too much. Yeah, that's a great point. I think uh, I primarily do email cold pitching. So I have to say it's not as draining as like doing a video pitch or talking to someone face to face or sending voice memos. So I'm able to keep up with that. And then a good way to put less pressure on it is to just have other streams of income or have other opportunities so that you're able to take care of yourself because it can be scary if you're relying on clients and cold pitching to get people signed up and make money for your business. Like, yeah, that's a lot of pressure because yeah. we need money to live. <laughs> yes. So getting other streams that you can lean on is really helpful to just alleviate pressure. So as well as freelancing, I also teach um, for a different healthcare organization in Canada online. And then I also recently at the start of this year signed up with a cancer society. It's called Wellspring and uh, I'll be doing cooking demonstrations for them. So cool. it just diversifies also what you do and where the money's coming from. So I find that really helps. And I mean, if you need a break and just need to take a step back, then I would just say, allow yourself to just take a step back, but also give yourself a timeline because at the end of the day and freelancing these opportunities, like very rarely will they fall in your lap and you do have to be a bit of a go-getter and put yourself out there yeah. to go find them. So just make sure you take a break, but make sure you come back after. Yeah. I, I really like that you mentioned that you're wearing all these different hats too, right? Like, because as RDs, there are so many different opportunities out there for us that, especially now, you're right, after COVID, it has opened up so many more doors, right? So maybe more things are virtual or there is a component that's virtual, but also a component that's in person because we also still need that human that human interaction in some way, shape or form. So it's cool that you have a couple of different things that it sounds like they're not everyday work either, right? Like it's pretty, it's pretty sporadic with these other, these other positions that you have. Yes, absolutely. I love, I thrive off a variety. I mean, I think there's dietitians who love to specialize like diabetes is their jam, kidney health. And then there's other RDs who prefer to be a bit more generalist. And I do think my background in, in primary care, you have to be a generalist, like everything that a family doctor might address. Like you also have to know nutritionally what that means. So that is in my brain and it's embedded in me and it carries over well to freelancing and just dabbling in different things. And yeah, I can't believe I forgot to say this, but I also run the freelance dietitian brand. Yeah, you do. (laughs) I can't believe I forgot to say that where I educate RDs on how they can freelance as well. So yeah, so a good variety. And that's mostly where I get a lot of my interaction um, more consistently is talking to other RDs because it's, it's really interesting when you transition from talking to patients and then providers. It's a totally different level of communication. So that's been fun. And what do you do within the freelance dietitian (laughs) brand? Tell me more. (laughs) She is growing. Uh, I have a podcast, freelance dietitian podcast. I just started to do like a course for brand new RDs who want to learn the basics about freelancing. It does revolve around Upwork. So it's not like, it's a very entry level course. Upwork is like a great place to start, but it should not be where your freelance career ends. But like 99% of the guests on my show start on Upwork. So, and I was getting a lot of questions. So I thought, okay, I'll make this into a course and then people can sign up if they're interested. Yeah. Yeah. And people have success. And then now I'm building it out just a couple more courses and just, I'm loving talking to people that follow the brand and learning what they're interested in and, you know, some, some of their barriers that are holding them back because then I can serve them better. And it just makes you feel so relatable and less alone because we all have the same fears. Like it's pretty amazing. 
Yeah. And we start having these conversations very similar to what you do on the show. So (laughs) more talk, the better. I completely agree. And I love that, that your course is kind of targeted to like more of a young RD audience because there are so many more opportunities right out of your internship than clinical or private practice, right? Like maybe you don't have all of the answers that you need right away and that's okay. And maybe freelancing or writing or having all of these different, different opportunities can spark something that you wouldn't have thought of or wouldn't have experienced otherwise. So I love that it's geared towards that and that, that audience in particular. Yeah. Thank you. I agree. I think one other thing I like to say about freelancing is like, it really is casual and it can be once a year, it can be part-time or it can be full-time. So I think that's also really appealing for RDs who historically are just like always have their plates full (laughs) with different pursuits. So, so yeah, I, I just love it. I could talk about it forever. And I think, you know, freelancing also from a business perspective is the future because for large organizations, it is more of an incentive to hire a freelancer than an employee because it's yeah. cheaper down the road. So, you know, if you think it's saturated, I would say we should chat because it's not saturated anything online. Um, yeah. But yeah, lots of opportunities. It's exciting. It should be exciting. Yeah, I agree. I Now that you're phrasing it like that, I guess I have also dabbled in the freelancing world. Like, yeah. I did some restaurant consultation like a year and a half ago and like that I think in the moment was my jam, but I didn't have set boundaries around like the scope of the project. And I was definitely taken advantage of like knowledge wise. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that you're saying that. So like going into it with like a very defined contract, I think is important and like knowing what your boundaries are. And I'm sure you've experienced that with other projects you've worked on as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a uh like most things in the freelancing world or any business, really, you you learn a lot on your feet and yeah. then you just make notes and, you know, you learn best practices from others who are more experienced, but the reality is freelancing and a lot of business is the wild west and you will make your own path and what works for other people. It's good to follow their best practices, like I mentioned, but it might not a hundred percent fit your bill and you're going to have to tweak and go. So you got to be a little bit comfortable with getting uncomfortable and not having all the answers right away. So it's good. I think that's a really healthy challenge to face or pushback to face. Hell yeah, girl. That was amazing advice. (laughs) (laughs) Good. (laughs) I love it. All right. So it sounds like you're pretty collaborative with the RDs who are in your space. I would love to know, are there any particular niches that you would love to collab with, like put that out into the universe, or are there any ways that you just really enjoy collaborating with fellow dietitians? Yeah, I love learning from other RDs. I love messaging them. I love, uh, I haven't done a lot of like hard and fast collabs just because the business is still growing, but I certainly plan to because, you know, why not tap into the knowledge of others? Like we're all better for it when we share what we know and we all benefit from it. So some areas that I have my eye on would be the tech space. You know, any RD who works in tech, I am obsessed. I'm just like, what are you? You are so (laughs) cool. Um, Because like, it's very foreign to my brain and it's not intuitive. So like anything from web design to RDs who are literally making apps. I'm just like, you are so cool. And just pushing the boundaries and then, I also have my eye on RDs in food photography. I just like photography. So that's kind of my own curiosity that's fueling that. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, I have a keen interest also to talk to some RDs and just learn from them. I don't know necessarily collab, but just learn from them. 
you know, how have they viewed dietetics over their career? Like I'm thinking of this one woman I know who's been a director for like, I think 29 years now. And I just really want to talk to her and see, you know, how have you seen dietetics evolved? And like, what do you think the future is? And I think there's lots of knowledge to learn there. Totally. I love this. This is maybe the best answer I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think about this stuff a lot. So (laughs) girl, yes. I, I feel like if we can, if we can find other like like-minded RDs who are just as down to collab, we're going to be the future of dietetics, right? Like this, this change yeah. that I'm starting to see over like, I don't know, the last year, year and a half of like people really digging in, asking questions, wanting to connect, wanting to learn more from our peers. This is going to be the change that, mm-hmm. that we're going to see within the, like the world of dietetics. And I'm totally down for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the first thing that happened is that there has been a noticeable, at least I, I'll speak for myself. Yeah. What's the right way to word this is people aren't so quick to shut you down when you ask a question. I find historically a lot of RDs, it's just the nature, you know, like evidence-based or it, it made us close-minded whether yeah. we wanted to or not. Right. So it was scary to ask a question because it felt sometimes like the feedback you got was personal, you know, like, no, you can't do that. And also why would you ever ask that? You know, yeah. like I literally have seen those types of interactions before and that's the fastest way to just make you want to clam up and never ask a question again. So <laughs> I think in the last two years, I've seen a lot more acceptance. We still have work to go but people are less quick to just like shut somebody down and let them have their moment, which is huge. Like that needs to be there if we're ever going to have really good conversations moving forward. So it's nice to see it starting. Preach. I think there was a whole episode back in season one where I was talking to an RD who had everything like shut down for him in his internship. Like he was asking questions and he was basically put down every time he asked a question. So I'm horrible. It sucks. And like, I'm happy that you're bringing it up too, because I am seeing that same shift. And I think that that is really important. So yeah, we're going in the right direction, man. Hopefully. (laughs) Cool. Julia, as always, it's been a pleasure. If RDs want to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, I would say I am moving away from Instagram, people. Social media is sucking my soul, okay? I have loved the connections I have made there. Yeah, Um, It's invaluable for the social element, but in terms of my presence and the hourly commitment, I'm moving away. So that being mine, please, you can follow me there. You can add me. You can message me. I will always respond. But the fastest way will probably be to email me through my website. Cool. And I get back to people a lot faster. And I also have a newsletter there where I share a lot more details and information with people than I ever do on Instagram, because it's just like a little nice collaborative community of people. If you're on the email list and I try to get a lot of feedback from people and get them involved. So yeah, that's really where I'm starting to hang out more. And of course the podcast, the freelance dietitian podcast, please check it out. You might learn something new or get inspired. It's a lot of fun. It is really fun. Highly recommend. (laughs) All right. Well, until next time. Thanks, Julia. Oh, Guys, all of those links will be in the show notes. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. Of course. Ciao.